All right, so we're continuing our series on the names of God today. Last week, we, we uh, kicked it off with Jehovah Sebaoth, which means the Lord of hosts. And that was a good Sunday. If, uh, if you missed that sermon, you can go online and check it out. But it was a great introduction to this series talking about God being the Lord of angel armies and what that means for us, not just when we face battles, but when we're alone, when we feel forgotten, and how we apply that to our prayer life. Uh, it said, we, we talked last week about how that phrase, the Lord of hosts, is found in the Old Testament 261 times. So it's obviously something that, that we can talk a lot about. Well, today we are going to be talking about Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. All right. Anyone here need a little extra dose of peace in their life? All right. A few of us. Yes, I believe many of us do. And, you know, the opposite of peace is this. It is warfare, turmoil, trouble, unrest, conflict. Does that sound a little familiar to any of us right now? I think unrest especially. And the thing about this term, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, it actually appears in the Old Testament one time. One time. In Judges chapter 6, the Bible says Jehovah Shalom or the Lord is peace. But you know what? It only takes God to say something one time for it to be true. He does not have to belabor his own points. So if it's said once or if it's said 261 times, the truth is the same for both. And so we're going to look, not in Judges 6, but we're going to look actually at the life of Jesus. Why are we going to do that? Because in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, Isaiah prophesies this over Jesus. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, this is not a Christmas sermon. I know that's where we usually hear that. But this is what Jesus is called before he's even born. Hundreds and hundreds of years before he's born. The Prince of Peace. And so we're going to look at Jesus' life. And we're going to see what the Prince of Peace has to say about peace, okay? And I'm believing this morning that we're going to get a new understanding of it. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus in a boat with his disciples. And trouble is a brewing, okay? Little do they know. Little do they know. And so we're going to look in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 35, and we're just going to go verse by verse and kind of break this story down of Jesus in the boat with the disciples when the storm comes. Starting in verse 35. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Okay, let's just stop right there. In this story that we're going to discuss this morning, that sentence by Jesus, I believe, is the second most important part of this entire story. Maybe even the first. Maybe even the first. He says to them, let us cross over to the other side. It is already determined by Jesus, that they are going to cross to the other side. Okay, he doesn't say, hey guys, let's try to cross. All right, let's give it the old college try. Let's see what happens. The water looks pretty calm right now, so why don't we go when we'll see, and if it's, it's bad, we'll just come back. We'll just come back. He doesn't do that. He says, guys, let's get in the boat, and let's go over to the other side. Okay, he's determined the direction and he's determined the means by which they are going to do it. They're not going to walk around the Sea of Galilee. All right? They're going to take a boat, and they are going to cross it, and they're going to go that way. Okay? Jesus has already made up his mind what is going to happen. 
Okay? We're going to put a pin in that and we're going to come back to that, but that is such an important part of this story. Now in verse 36, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. Okay, as he was. Jesus had just been preaching to a ton of people, a multitude of people, and he is tired. All right, he's tired. And so when he says, let's go to the other side, they don't go, wait, Jesus, let's wait until you're at full strength. Let's wait until you're really ready to go in case something were to happen. All right. He says, let's go. They see him as he's tired. They put him in the boat. They say, all right, let's go. And it's interesting to note here something that's very important as well. It is the disciples' obedience to Jesus that leads them into the boat, which then takes them into the storm. Okay. A lot of times storms happen from our disobedience. All right. And we do some, we don't do what God's called us to, or we do something that he would never want us to do and a storm comes. And that's the result of our sin. You know, the, our Father is quick to forgive us, but let's not confuse that with results of sin, right? But in this case, the, the disciples are obedient to Jesus. And they get in the boat as He is, in the state that He is. In other words, they're not just obedient on Sunday mornings when worship is popping and the sermon might resonate a little bit. They're obedient on Tuesday night. And Wednesday afternoon, when we're not caught up in this great emotional state of being in church and with all this other stuff that's going on, when Jesus is tired and resting, they're obedient. So we need to understand there's times when, we, when we're, we feel, we've been obedient. God, I, I'm, I'm obedient. I'm doing what you're saying. Why is this happening? Just because we're obedient doesn't mean there's not going to be storms. So you would like to think, okay, God, I'm going to do exactly what you've called me to do, and that means the waters are going to be calm, and it's going to be smooth sailing across the lake, across the sea, because I've done what you said. That's not always how it works. Sometimes a storm comes anyway because we are obedient. The disciples were obedient. Jesus said, let's go. I'm tired. Okay, we're going to go. And then what happens? Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling with water. Okay, so the Sea of Galilee was known for just like sudden storms that would just come out of nowhere. They would just appear. And and the Sea of Galilee was was huge, 12, 13, 14 miles long in certain parts. Historians have said that where the disciples were going and Jesus was going in this trek was about five miles, which is still a very long way. And so as they're out off the shore and they've they've been maybe sailing for a while, all of a sudden this huge storm just pops out of nowhere. And on this boat, we have two different groups of people. We have those who are not fishermen and aren't used to being on a boat. And we have those that are fishermen and are used to being on a boat. And I believe the ones that aren't fishermen and aren't used to being on the boat are looking at the fishermen and saying, what do we do? What do we do? We turn around, we jump ship. Where's the life jackets? Like, what do we do? You ever been around someone, you've been in an environment that, that you're not used to, the other person is, and something maybe happens that you're not ready for, you, you look at it, what do we do? And they, they'll have an answer. Oh, well, it just, it's okay, we do this, 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 and that. But I believe in this situation, the fishermen were looking back at the non-fishermen going, I don't know what to do, all right? You think that instilled a lot of confidence? And I believe that there was stories about these storms. And maybe the fishermen on the boat, the disciples who were fishermen, maybe they had experienced a storm like this. 
Maybe they, had been, maybe they had survived a storm like this, or maybe not. Maybe they had heard stories about it. Maybe they, had, they knew other, other fishermen, other men, who had died at the hands of a storm like this. But I also know this for sure. Whether non-fishermen or fishermen, none of them had experienced being in a storm like this with Jesus on the boat. That had never happened before. And we need to be careful that we don't compare past experiences without Jesus with current experiences with Jesus because they are totally different. They are totally, it's not apples and oranges. It's like cow manure and oranges, okay? It is totally different. And if we, if we try and say it was like this then before Jesus, so it must be like this now with him, then we're missing the whole point of following him then we don't get what he's saying in the word. And this was a storm that for all of them, for the first time ever, Jesus was in the boat. And that changes everything. It changes everything. It goes on to say in verse 38, but he was in the stern. There it is. He's in the boat with him, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him. And said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I love this verse. There's so much in it. It says that they awoke him. Has anyone in here, I don't know, this is kind of a strange question, ever been sleeping and someone woke you up with a spray bottle? Like you just, I mean, okay, that, this might come from me being a youth pastor back in the day and going on camp trips, you know, and things happen, you know, it, things just happen, okay? And... When I was doing youth ministry, the, 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 the greatest challenge that I had was staying up late with, with youth. Like, that's when they saw Bad James come out. We would go to camp, and it would be, you know, four or five days. And, you know, I, I'm just not a night person, okay? I'm a morning person. That's just who I am. Uh, it's how I'm built. I get it honestly. It, just, it is what it is, okay? And these they drive me nuts. Staying, and they knew it. They knew what they were doing. they keep me up at night. And... I would sit there and go, okay, okay, morning's coming. <laughs> and so I would go around to them, and I would take a spray bottle, and I'd spray them right in the face. And I'd do it with anger, like a righteous indignation right in their face. Like, you wake up, you little teenager. <laughs> one year, I have to tell, this has nothing to do with what I'm going to tell it anyway. One year, this is, this is one of the greatest moments of my youth ministry life. There was, a, there was a youth who was the captain of the drum line at Fletcher High School. His name was Chris. And I told him, I said, look, Chris, I need you to see if you can bring a marching snare drum and some cymbals to camp this summer. He's like, why? I was like, don't worry about it. Just do it. And so we're, where we stayed at this camp, it was a dorm. It was a college dorm, so it was a long hallway. It was all brick and tile. There was no carpet anywhere in the whole place. And there were bedrooms the whole way. And it was, it was a process to wake these guys up. I, and they had to go to breakfast, okay? And so every year, it would take like 30 minutes of my time in the morning to wake them up. It was like, something's got to change. And so I was like, so, so the night before, I was like, Chris, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to wake you up, and you're going to strap on that marching snare drum, and I'm going to grab the cymbals, and we're going to have ourselves a little parade down this hallway, okay? And I don't know if you've ever been around a snare drum in a marching band, but they are super loud and sound awesome. So he gets, he's like, oh, James, yes, okay. So he gets up. 
puts on a snare drum, and I'm just, I'm not even on rhythm. I'm just hitting the cymbals as loud as I can. Like, this is awesome. It's like, what I don't even remember what the sermons were on at that camp, but I remember doing that. And the kid's like coming out, like one eye open, like drool coming down, hair sticking up. It's like, yeah, this is my time to shine. Remember that tonight. There's all sorts of different ways that we can wake people up. All sorts of different ways. Jesus is laying on this boat asleep when the wind is battering it and there's literally, the, the boat is filling up with water and he's sound asleep. It wasn't until his disciples came to him that he woke up. Why? Because Jesus is not concerned with the storm. He's concerned with you and me. So the wind couldn't wake him up. The rain couldn't wake him up. The noises that were all going on around him couldn't wake him up until his disciples came and said, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. He said, I'm up. You see, the storms in our life don't concern Jesus. They don't concern him. As big as they might seem to you, I'm telling you right now, he does not lose a wink of sleep over those things. What he is concerned with is us in the storm, but not the storm. And until they woke him up, he would have slept through the whole thing. He would have slept through the whole thing. And then it says this. This is what kills me. Do you not care that we are perishing? Everyone say we. They said we are perishing, not us and, and not you. They, they're including Jesus in what is going on here. Saying, Jesus, we're going to, we, all of us are going to die. Okay. What type of savior dies on a boat with his buddies. That's not a savior. Listen, Jesus came to die on a cross, not on a boat, okay? And what they didn't understand and what we need to learn more of every single day is that Jesus is not subject to his creation, okay? The creator does not bow to the creation. And for this storm to kill Jesus meant that the storm was greater than him. And that makes no sense. He created everything. God is the creator of everything. And that means that everything does not have any authority over him. Jesus died on the cross because it was his plan to do it. Death didn't have reign over him. The Roman government didn't have reign over him. The Pharisees and the devil didn't have reign over him. It was Jesus's plan to the point where then he raised himself from the dead. Creation does not tell Jesus what to do. Jesus tells creation what to do because he is the creator. He is the creator. So when the disciples go to him and say, we are going to drown, that's lunacy. It makes no sense. I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm going, right, really? You serious right now? You serious? But then they also say this, which is something that I want to touch on. They utter these words, and I think it's words that maybe sound familiar to us. Do you not care? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning or anything like that. But I do want to ask you to ask yourselves. Maybe you haven't said that out loud, but in your heart, in your thoughts, maybe how you're praying, have you been asking Jesus lately, do you not care? Don't you care? Do you care what I'm going through? You hear these prayers that I'm praying, you see what I'm struggling with, don't you care? I thought you loved me. 
I thought you wanted what was best for me. Don't you care? And that question can turn from sadness to bitterness to anger real quick. And I want to say to anybody in here that is asking that question, Jesus cares about everything with you. There is not one single thing that you experience in your life that he does not care about. That's the God that we serve. Yes, yes, he cares about you. It says this in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him, capital H, who after he was killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more val- of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, look, I know the numbers, on your, the numbers of the hair on your head. Of course I care about you. And what's going on in this story in Luke chapter 12 is it says that there is innumerable, innumerable amount of people surrounding Jesus and the disciples at this point, to the point where all these people, this, this multitude, this crowd, this mob are, are, are trampling over one another to try and get to Jesus. It is literally a sea of people. Where we're talking about in Mark, the actual sea of Galilee, this is a sea of people. And they're trying to get to Jesus. And all Jesus is doing is looking at his disciples. He's not concerned with the sea of people around him. He's concerned with his disciples. Sound familiar? And what's going on is he's talking about these Pharisees in the church, and they're basically being bullies. He's saying, look, I don't want you to worry about them and that threat. I don't want you to be scared by that in any, any, any false threat that they may have. I want you to fear me. And when Jesus says that, he's not talking about to be afraid of him and, 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 and cower in the corner about Jesus. He's saying, be in awe of me. Understand me. Know that my ways are greater. And if, you're, if you follow after me, I will protect you from the bullies. I will protect you from the storm. So stop giving all your focus on the bullies and start looking at me. You see, when we, give, when we fear something, we give it power. There's a big difference between being fearful and being cautious, all right? And I've seen both in the world that we're living in right now. I've seen people be fearful and I've seen people be cautious. Fear keeps you up at night. Fear controls your emotions. Fear takes you down dark alleys. Caution allows you to be smart and make right decisions, but it doesn't control you. And so when we give fear, our fears to something, it then has power. And so when Jesus says, fear me, we're saying, okay, I'm going to be in awe of you, Jesus. I'm going to fix my eyes on you, and I'm going to give you the power in my life, not this thing over here. I care about you. I care about you to the point that I know every single hair on your head. You have value. So if you are asking that question this morning, Jesus, do you care? The answer is absolutely, 100%, yes. And what he's saying is, look at me. If you start looking at me and start praying to me and worship in the midst of what you're going on, you'll see how much I care about you. The problem is you're asking that question while looking at everything else and you're giving everything else that power. Fear me, fear me. 
I'm not concerned with the storm. I'm not concerned with the mob. I'm not concerned with the bully. I'm concerned about you. So look at me. All right. Let's go back to Mark chapter 4. It says, Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Again, a lot to unpack in these couple of verses as well. And I love what Jesus says when he says, Peace, be still. We started off this morning talking about Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. All right? He is peace. So I almost, when I read this, when I, when I hear him, Jesus saying, peace, be still, he's not just saying the word peace, but he's saying his own name. He's not just saying peace, he's saying Jesus into that storm. He's saying God, Yahweh, Abba Father, authority, because he is peace. So he's saying almost, to, he's putting himself in it. He says what? Be still. And what happens? The wind calms, the waves calm, and everything just goes flat. Just like that. Why? Because he has authority over his creation. And when Jesus speaks peace into something, peace happens. All right? There's no debate. There's no back and forth. He says it, and it obeys. So he's speaking his name into this storm. Okay, and then it says this. How is it? that you have no faith. All right, let's go back. Let's go back to the opening verse that we talked about where Jesus says, let's go to the other side. The disciples, when, when he asked them this question, why don't you have any faith? He's not saying, why don't you have any faith that I can stop the storm? That's not, that's not the point. He's saying, why don't you have any faith that you didn't believe that we were gonna get to the other side? Didn't I tell you we were? I told you we were going to get to the other side. So why are you doubting that? It's not even about the storm for him. He said, I, listen, Jesus gives away the ending all the time. All the time he gives away the ending. You read this book right here. And I'm not just talking about Revelation, okay? I'm talking about throughout what he says about us. I am for you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're more than a conqueror. I have great things for you. He gives away the ending. I have to tell y'all, one of my greatest pet peeves in my life, I probably shouldn't say this because some of y'all, when you hear this, you like come up and do it intentionally, which is real cool. Thank you. Love you for that. <laughs> one of my greatest pet peeves is people, have you seen this movie? No. Oh, it's great. The person dies at the end. I'm like, awesome. People give away movies. It drives me insane. Like, oh, but I didn't tell you how that it was his brother that killed him. Oh, thanks. Even worse. Like, what are you doing? Like, point where if someone it's like hey have you seen this yes don't tell you don't say a word it drives me crazy what's wrong with you people we need to pray for you i remember forget like three or four years ago i don't remember how long ago it was it was the first time the jaguars played in london at 9 30 in the morning they had been playing at one o'clock and then all of a sudden they decided to move the game to 9 30 in the morning which is a whole other issue that i won't go into um but I remember this was, this was a really dumb mistake I made. I was leading worship, and I said in the mic, I think when we dismissed for the day, uh, I said, hey, 
Don't tell me anything about the Jaguar game. Because you could see, like, uh, certain people, mostly men, in, in the congregation, they were on here like, yeah, amen, looking back, like, just watching. They were watching the Jaguars in church. You know, it's like, I'm so glad you're committed to what's going on here. Um, and I can see it from the stage. I don't know what that guy's doing. I know exactly what he's doing. And so in the mic, I said, you know, try and, you know, keep it to yourself. I don't want to know. I'm recording the game. Go Jags. You can be dismissed. Have a great Sunday. And... I mean, like four people came up to me and goes, I'm not going to tell you what happened, but it's awesome. <laughs> like, thanks. That's kind of the same thing, you know, appreciate it. It took all the drama out of it. You know, I got home. I was like, I don't even need to watch this. I know what's going to happen. Still did, but I knew it was going to happen. Jesus gives us the ending. He spoils it. He spoils it. And, and not, only, not only when the storm comes, does it cause us to doubt what he's told us? A lot of times it causes us to forget about it altogether. And yes, he gives away the ending, but you know what? He doesn't give away the middle. The middle is where they were at here in this story, in the storm. And he doesn't give away the middle because the middle is where the lessons are. The middle is where he teaches us and stretches us and pours into us so that we can get to the other side and be ready for what's on the other side. But he, doesn't give, he gives away the ending all the time. He doesn't give away the middle. But we need to remember what he says. And I want to ask you all this. As we have this last week of fasting and prayer, I believe this is a week, you know, we've been praying a lot. Maybe you've been talking a lot to God. Hopefully you are. You're engaging in what we're doing here. You've been saying a lot of prayers. I believe this is a week to sit and listen. Allow God to give away the ending for you. And maybe he's already told you the ending, because, but because of the storms, You've either either doubted what he said or you've forgotten about it altogether. So I want to ask you, what is God saying to you? What is he saying to you? And a simple prayer you can ask this week is, God, speak to me. What do you want to say? I'm here to listen. In this last week, let's listen to what God has to say because I believe he wants to give away the ending to a lot of us. And you know, we read these things in the Bible about other people and all that, but I believe there are certain specific things that are for you and you alone that God wants to say to you. Or he wants to bring back to the surface something that he's already said. But this year hasn't gone the way that you planned. There's been a lot of curveballs. And so we've forgotten about the ending that he's told us and we're only focusing on the middle. Let's get back to what he was saying about the ending what God has for us. Amen? John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Back in the day, they would say, peace, peace, like that. Like we say, hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, cool. And we go on our way. There's not a lot of meaning behind it, right? And that's kind of how peace was back then. Peace, 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 peace. And Jesus is saying, look, I give you peace. I give you my peace, not as the world gives. In other words, this isn't just some flippant little thing that I'm telling you in passing because that's what the cordial thing to do is. I'm saying to you, I give you my peace as the prince of peace. I give it to you. Now, Jesus was the son of a carpenter, right? Didn't have a lot of money. The Bible even says, you know, he was basically homeless. Foxes have their holds. Birds have the nests. The son of man has no place to lay his head. He, was, he just went from town to town, crashed on couches. He didn't have a will and testament to give to these disciples. So when he left, when he went back up to heaven, 
There wasn't this will that they read, oh, you get the couch, you get the car, you get the house, whatever. There was nothing except what he left them, which is what? Peace. The disciples' inheritance was peace. Our inheritance as the children of God is peace. Are you using your inheritance? You know, we get an inheritance from a family member that passes away. We usually put it into use almost immediately. Oh, good, I can get a new roof. I can buy a new car. I can pay off some college loans or whatever. We put it to use. But when it comes to Jesus' inheritance for us, this peace, I'll be honest, I don't think we use it very often. We just let it sit, but that's what he's saying. I'm giving you this peace that is my peace. As the Prince of Peace, I leave it to you. I mean, just think about all the times Jesus says it to them. Go and read the Gospels. And how many times when, when he first appears to the disciples in the upper room, what does he say to them? Peace. Twice he does that. It's all over the place. He's continuing to pour out peace because he knows what this world is like. And he's saying, I got it for you. As your, I asked this earlier, who needs an outpouring or a little overflow, a little extra peace in their life? We can have it. We can have it. We just have to receive it. You know, the great thing about this story is it does not end with Jesus uh, calming the wind and the waves. It's actually just the beginning. That's the middle. That's the middle. It goes on to say in Mark chapter 5, the next chapter, starting in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, just as Jesus had said they would. To the country of the Gadarenes. Okay. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Does this sound like peace? No, this is torment. This is trouble. This is the opposite of peace. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is going to the other side and he knows that this guy is here? He goes on to say, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. Hello. What do we see here? We see this guy that is tormented by demonic spirits running, sees Jesus from afar and runs to Jesus, falls on the ground and worships him. Okay, the lesson here, torment bows at the feet of peace. Torment bows at the feet of peace. Hello, do we get that? It's not the other way around. From far off, this demon-possessed dude sees Jesus, and the first thing he does is worships him. And he says, please, do not torment me. For he said to him, verse 8, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, this is the demon saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly. Say that again. He begged him earnestly. 
that he, meaning Jesus, would not send them out of the country. If we let torment, unrest, fear dictate our lives, we are not living scripturally. It's just the truth. This demon-possessed man is groveling at Jesus' feet, begging him, begging him, a legion of demons, not even just one, a whole legion, a multitude, begging Jesus. I want us to make sure we understand this so much. We need to get back to that. There's a lot of us that are living without peace, that are living in unrest, and certain things are torturing us, whatever they might be. And the world is ripe with different things that cause those feelings in our life. But listen, it's not scriptural. Torment and torture and unrest bow at the feet of our Prince of Peace. And that is our inheritance. That is what he gives us. I'm going to have the band come up as we close this morning. Check this out in verse 18. The story's not even over yet. And we got, when he, meaning Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus not, did not permit him. So the guy wanted to come with Jesus. He's out, he doesn't have the demons in him anymore. But Jesus said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. And he departed, meaning the guy that was demon-possessed, and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. When Jesus told his disciples, after being preaching, hey, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side, he was saying, I'm, I'm, we need to go over there because I need to bring peace to somebody that desperately needs it. And then that person, when I give them peace, is going to become an evangelist. And is going to start telling people all about what I've done. And those people that hear it are going to marvel at my name. It was never about the storm. It was never about the storm. It was about the man on the other side that needed to be set free. There are people in our lives that need us to cross the sea so that they can be set free. We're focused on ourselves in this storm around us. And Jesus is saying, you have the peace. I'm in the boat with you already. I need to go to them. I need to bring peace to them so they can be set free. You want to know unrest? You want to know torment? Look at the guy on the other side of the sea that chains can't even hold him. Who's cutting himself every day. No one will go near him. I need to bring peace to that. You have the peace. So take it. It's your inheritance. And let's get to the other side, like I already said we would do, and let's do some work. Let's set some people free. Let's stand up this morning. I want to pray for you this morning, if that's you. You need to return to peace in your life. And remember that Jesus is our Prince of Peace. And walking in any other way but that is not what he's called us to. And let's start opening our eyes to those that don't know him, that have not been introduced to the Prince of Peace.
who need him in their boat. And let's start fearing Jesus and being in awe of him and not fearing the storms because they're powerless, y'all. They're powerless to our creator. If you haven't met Jesus yet, if you're that person on the other side of the sea saying, I'm just tormented and I've never received Jesus, this Prince of Peace, this is your moment. If you're watching this online, if you're in this room, this is your moment to receive Jesus. And he will come into your heart and he will flood your life with a peace that you frankly won't understand. So much so that it's written in scripture. There's a peace that is beyond our understanding. You're gonna say, I don't get it. The world hasn't changed, but I feel different. That's the Prince of Peace in your heart. All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. Come into my heart and be my Prince of Peace in this moment. Take this opportunity now. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Jesus, that nothing has power over you, not even death, which is what makes your miracle on the cross so great. You could have gotten down at any time. You could have stopped it all. Every time you were whipped, every time you were beaten, every time the nail went further into your flesh, every suffocating breath, every time you were spit at and mocked, you could have stopped it. But you chose to stay on the cross for us so that we could inherit your peace, so that we could receive you as our Savior and know that no matter how violent the storm gets, if you're in the boat with us, that's all we need. God, when you tell us, let's go to the other side, I pray, Father, that we would believe you, that we won't let storms cause us to doubt or forget the ending that you've told us. God, for those of us in here, those of us watching, that have been saying over and over again lately, Jesus, don't you care about me? That they would know today that, they, that you absolutely, more than words can describe, care about them. And let us all, Father, Stop giving power to the fears in our lives and turn our attention to you. Turn our focus on you and watch as the storms die down. For we believe that you have great things to say to us. And I pray for these next seven days, Lord, that you're going to speak to each one of us. You're going to give away the ending to what you want to say to us, Father. And that next Sunday, when we come to celebrate you, the Lord as our banner, that we're going to have a celebration next week. As we receive communion, Father, next week, it's going to be a time of celebration for what you've done in these three weeks and what you are going to continue to do. That it's not just about getting through this storm, it's about getting to the other side and seeing people get saved. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Father. Let's worship.